Welcome back to the Family Law Podcast by Pump Court Chambers. I'm your host, Mark Ablett, and I'm joined today by Samara Brackley of Pump Court, with whom listeners will of course be familiar from her podcast on no-fault divorce and going back some 18 months now on stepchildren and family proceedings. Samara is known to be a rising star in the field of family law and specialises in all aspects of private family law, and we're lucky to have her. Hello, Samara. Hi, Mark. How are you? Very well. Thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm all right on this. Uh, it's a Thursday afternoon. Doing very well. It is a Thursday afternoon. We're nearly there. Um, and Samara joins me today to talk about one of those issues that seems to send practitioners and judges into a tiz and a panic. Non-fungible tokens, better known as NFTs. This is a, a growing field. There is hardly any legal authority out there in any jurisdiction. And so um, we do have to caveat this podcast on that basis. But NFTs have grown in popularity in recent years, be it a footballer flogging a rather dubious monkey picture or a limited release of a song. We need to know what these are, how they work and what a court might make of them. And with that in mind, Samara, over to you. I'm going to start with the most basic question I could probably ask. What is an NFT? So an NFT, as you've set out, it's defined in the crypto world as a non-fungible token. That doesn't need to scare anyone. You don't need to understand necessarily what non-fungible token really means when you break it down. But the easiest way of looking at it is that it is effectively a form of crypto asset. So it's an asset that is purchased and traded on the blockchain of a certain cryptocurrency. Now, I appreciate that a lot of those words are also going to be confusing to listeners. Um, So to effectively break it down, you purchase the NFT on a platform. So a bit like online shopping, you go on an app. There are loads of them, the most famous of which are probably called well, OpenSea is one, Nifty Gateway is another, and you, using your cryptocurrency, purchase the particular NFT that you would like to purchase. That's the easiest way of thinking about it, in my opinion. Um, They can be bought in cryptocurrency. They can also be bought in fiat currency, which, again, that needs explaining. It's the crypto term that is used to describe normal currency, so pound sterling, US dollar. That is all referred to in the crypto world as fiat literally like the car brand Mm. um, and spelt the same way as the car brand. So that's effectively how you go about buying them. When you purchase one from an online forum, it effectively is then what's called minted. So literally like physical normal currency is minted at the Royal Mint. You mint your NFT on the blockchain. And that means that that transaction on the blockchain is It can't be tampered with. It can't be manipulated. It is there. It's a unique code that gets transferred when you purchase it. So all of these terms I know are going to be new to a lot of listeners, but effectively you purchase it in a very similar way to which you would purchase anything else if you were online shopping on an app or something like that. And when you say on the blockchain, yes. um, what do you mean by on the blockchain? So the easiest way I think to think about a blockchain is the series of transactions that take place in terms of purchasing crypto assets or trading cryptocurrency. So in the same way that you receive your paper or online bank statements and you can see that you've spent £10 at Tesco that day, you can also see that somebody has sent one Bitcoin to somebody else. 
The difference is that obviously private bank statements are just that, they're private, they're for you, they only get sent to you in the post. Blockchains are public. So anybody can see what's been transferred to which person. Now, if you're purchasing an NFT, your purchase of that NFT, when it mints onto the blockchain, everybody can see that. And where do you see blockchains? On your crypto wallet. So when you have purchased your NFT and it comes into your crypto wallet. So that's effectively it's this it's it's very similar to online banking. Mm -hmm. um, it all gets stored in an app for the most part. Most people, their crypto wallets are an app. Um, so with uh, companies like Binance or Coinbase, um, you open up your app and you can see within that your transactions, your transaction history, so your, your blockchain history, and you can also see if you're storing your NFTs in that particular wallet. But you said that anyone can go and see anyone else's blockchain. How, how, where would you see that? Uh, that would be within the transactions for that particular blockchain. I see. Okay. And, and so, okay, we've got that sort of a how and possibly, well, maybe not why. We'll get to why. But, but <laughs> I, I just want to stick with what for the yes. minute. I mean, I yep. mean, we know they take all shapes and sizes. Could you just give the listeners an example of some of the common forms of NFTs that we see? Uh, I think listeners will probably be most familiar with NFTs as digital artworks. So the most famous example, I think you've already referred to the monkeys. It's called the Board mm. Ape Yacht Club. Board Ape Yacht Club, actually, Mark. Um, and they sell for quite a lot of money. Um, but there's also... Not, a not famous... dodgy monkey pictures, then? Is that not a... dodgy monkey pictures, no. They're right. actually... Okay. I'm afraid some people do collect these. Um, but there's also a famous crypto artist called Beeple. His work has sold for several tens of millions of dollars through Christie's in New York. These are the most obvious examples of NFTs that I think listeners will have either seen or read about in the news. So and I, when I'm explaining what an NFT is to people um, when at seminars, et cetera, when, when we're talking about it, um, that's how I generally tend to describe it is in the form of a digital piece of artwork. Because in my opinion, at least, it's the easiest way of transposing something from real life into crypto life. NFTs can also be, I mean, the first tweet was created into an NFT. It's a way of containing a particular digital asset and preserving it such that it remains unique to that particular digital asset. But um, of course, so the world can still see hmm. first, because I, I found it interesting. My sister sold, um, was making some music and sold some, sold, I think, 10 NFTs per song. And of course, you can still hear the song, but you don't yes. necessarily have to have an NFT to hear the song. Well, it's the same way that the big art galleries will ask for works from private collectors to display in their particular exhibition on a particular artist. It doesn't mean that other people can't see it. It doesn't mean that the image itself can't be distributed on the Internet. What it means is that you own the rights to that particular NFT. So if you're thinking about it in the same way as actual artwork, it doesn't mean that because someone's just loaned their Van Gogh picture to a Van Gogh exhibition that they no longer own the artwork. It's the fact that you yourself own the rights to that digital asset because you hold the rights to it on the blockchain. And I mean, when we talk, you're drawing an analogy with with a painting. And mm. I'm going to ask a leading question here and get told off by the metaphorical district judge sitting in the corner. 
Um, but obviously owning a picture is a capital asset. Mm -hmm. But but it's entirely possible to sometimes own capital assets that also produce an income. Um, do we have NFTs that, that fit into that category? We do. So much like you might loan your Van Gogh to a Van Gogh exhibition, you can do what is called staking an NFT, which is effectively putting your NFT in a pool of resources that other people might want to use as collateral for certain activities that they are doing on the blockchain. That's a very nebulous concept, I know. Um, and it's something that I myself have researched into because I find it quite nebulous. The base concept, it seems to me, is that if, for example, you are wanting to put on and I'm using art again because I think it's the easiest way of, of mm. looking at this. But if somebody wanted to put on an exhibition of NFT artworks, for example, you would stake that artwork in that particular smart contract and then you would receive royalties from that particular artwork having been used in that NFT exhibition. But there are also, much as in the traditional gaming world, for example, people buy characters, people buy um, add-ons to play in a particular game and enhance their experience of that game there is nft gaming um and you can loan if somebody owns a particular character that you really want to use for your game you can loan someone that character so that they effectively go off and and play with that character but you don't lose the ownership rights over it you've simply lent it out and that's what's known in the nft world as staking so it's 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 relies still though on a sort of on active transactions on on that loaning it's not like um a shareholding where it just generates a dividend automatically through the company declaring profits it's still something that you have to it has there has to be that demand to borrow the character or to to exhibit the artwork in essence yes but there are also some blockchains so some particular cryptocurrencies that have income producing nfts as an nft and where so, does that income come from? Well, it's effectively you in, you invest, you use the NFT as an investment, and then it produces an income like a dividend. I see. Um, now, practically, and I think we, we, we've touched on this a fair bit, but just to kind of cover off the basis, you hmm. own an NFT. Um, and if you're going you're going off to see your solicitor to complete your for me um obviously we hope that you never end up in that situation <laughs> um you are what showing your solicitor the your, your crypto wallet yes so you would you would want to show your solicitor the crypto wallet where that nft is held to prove ownership of the fact that you've got that nft valuing that nft is going to be incredibly difficult unless you purchased, again, I'm using art as an example, unless you purchased it through, for example, Sotheby's has got its own metaverse, Christie's has sold quite a lot of crypto art, unless you've purchased it through some sort of auction house like that or on one of these exchanges that I was talking about, like OpenSea and Nifty Gateway, then it might be easier to find a value for it albeit that value will probably be in the cryptocurrency that hosts the blockchain on which your NFT is stored. So for example, the Bored Ape Yacht Club, the random monkeys, um, they are hosted on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you're going to buy and sell it, it will be bought and sold in Ethereum. Mm. You then convert that into fiat currency as you would pounds to euros. Mm. 
Um, but valuing it, unless it's something like that, that has got a very high um, intrinsic value is potentially quite difficult. But the volatility of the cryptocurrency and crypto asset market is probably a discussion for another time. But I anticipate that many listeners will be familiar with the concept that decentralized finance, which is effectively what cryptocurrency and crypto assets belong to, is difficult to value anyway because of the volatility of the market. Yeah. And, and and the equivalent of effectively a certificate of ownership is on the blockchain. It is. Yeah. And so I've I've brought us into the family law world by mentioning for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this, this is an extremely broad question, but how does the family court? This court family court reads on the for me. I own an NFT, and my guess is it's worth ten Ethereum. Um, how does the family court consider an NFT? It's fairly settled, or at least it has been since. 2019, where there was a judgment from the commercial courts called AA versus Persons Unknown, um, that crypto assets are property. Now, when I was reading, uh, doing some background reading for this podcast, I read several commentators from the commercial court saying that that judgment was debated for some time as to whether they should be property or not. My opinion, and this is just my opinion, but I don't know what else it would be. I don't I don't know what else you would have classed it as. But in any event, we don't need to worry about it. For three years now, crypto assets have been defined as property, which means that they are subject to property adjustment orders, freezing injunctions, Norwich Pharmacal orders, all the sorts of things that you would apply to tangible property that you can get your hands on in the real world. So, I mean, I agree with you. You'd have to create a brand new species of assets, mm, I think, if would. it's not property. But but so, I mean, to be clear, the court can order that an NFT is sold. Yes. The court can order that an NFT is transferred. Certainly, that would be arguable. I, again, when doing research for this podcast, was trying to find a reported case anywhere in uh, not just the family jurisdiction, but also in other jurisdictions dealing with the disposal, sale or transfer of crypto assets and I couldn't find one. Certainly, there wasn't any um, on the usual family law databases that we would look at. So this is all me making suggestions in respect of what I think you should do um, if an NFT crops up in one of your cases. But certainly, it appears to me that you could rely on the decision from 2019 in AA against persons unknown to say, well, it's property. Therefore, the family court has got the power to treat it in the same way that it would other property. And then... Just practically, you mentioned freezing injunctions. Mm. What are you freezing? You are freezing the ability to trade or dispose or otherwise deal with that particular NFT. And so you are instructed in a lovely case. Mm -hmm. And because of your expertise, NFTs are involved. What's your approach if you if you see the other side and maybe you know you're you're a bit worried about dodgy dealings or you're worried about i don't know the volatility of, of of the currency what's what's your approach well i think it depends on the individuals involved because just because somebody owns an nft doesn't mean that they are sort of dealing with a murky underworld <laughs> um but um, the volatility of the markets that's easier to deal with because that's just something that's out of our control it, it has always in the matrimonial finance jurisdiction being something that's completely completely out of our control. I would probably, 
if you are particularly concerned about that asset being disposed of and or hidden, um, then I would certainly be asking for undertakings, if not freezing injunction, to make sure that that asset is preserved. One of the big issues with anything concerning crypto, that being cryptocurrency um, exchanges or NFTs, is the valuation of mm. it. And so you would have to be thinking very carefully about to what extent you are prepared to probably in instruct a very expensive expert to deal with the valuation of that particular NFT. Isn't the answer just to sell it? That I mean, that 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 gets around the freezing issue. Mm. It gets around disclosure problems. It gets around the volatility. You know, you, you take take things, put things into fiat 500 currency um and uh you you know where you stand a lot more i mean i appreciate the court can't order an interim sale but i do wonder whether that's something that you'd be thinking of when you encounter these assets is just put it into safer value yeah i completely agree and one of the re one of the main reasons i agree is that nfts had a boom i would say probably two to three years ago with the emergence of artists such as Beeple gaining traction on the news and then artists um, putting their songs into NFTs, somebody putting the first tweet into an NFT. They had some traction around two years ago. What I think in the market that led to was a boom um, in the price for these things. And to some extent, that boom and that bubble has now probably burst unless it's something that is a particularly valuable artwork that collectors are going to want to collect. So I, for that reason, I agree that one of the, the easiest ways of dealing with it is just to sell it and see what somebody will pay for it. And then you probably want to think about whether you want to leave that sale in the cryptocurrency that it was in, or whether you want to immediately upon sale, say you've sold something that is on the Ethereum blockchain, whether you want to immediately say upon sale that has to then immediately be converted back into fiat. The problem being that there have been such... I mean, huge movements in the cryptocurrency um, exchange rates, even over the past 12 months, that Bitcoin, for example, has gone between £45,000 to £19,000 in a year. So my thinking would be to get it transferred into fiat immediately so that it's in a much more stable form of currency. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I, I was when I was reading... Um, preparing for this podcast I was reading the Wall Street Journal from May 2022 which was saying the NFT bubble is about to to burst mm. um you will know better than me but but in terms of the court's powers coming back to yeah this is a fascinating conversation just generally yes. <laughs> but I, I remember it then about family law yeah the court, we, we know the court doesn't have the power to to order an interim sale of property where does the court get the power? I mean, let's let's take the interim issue out. Let's just talk about, you know, we know that a court can sell a house and that it's enforceable after decree absolute or now final order. Um, where does the court get the power to order that the, the proceeds of an NFT sale are converted to a different kind of asset, are converted from crypto to fiat? Well, I'd, I don't necessarily agree that that's a different type of asset. It's just converting it into a different currency. Once you've once you've sold it and it's being held in cryptocurrency, that's not an asset. In my, so in it's my, really just it goes to distribution of proceeds. Yes, it does. It's the same as somebody holding funds in an account in the USA in dollars. And if um, and again, I'm just you know I'm thinking out loud. And let's say let's say that the 
let's put it into normal terms the dollar is on the brink of collapse for you know i don't know trump becomes president again yeah and and the you know everyone wants to secure the dollar funds so in case the market crashes and put it into pounds where does the court get the power to order that money is transferred from one account to another even if it's in the same person's name yeah that's that's yeah that's the tricky thing i don't i don't think necessarily that there's the power to that there's the power to do that it just seems to me that it would be pretty bad financial planning if that didn't happen so you probably i mean what what, you know my concern is if i ever see crypto in my in my cases I, i i want it put into safer safer currency i want it put into fiat because at least we know where we stand there and it gets around the whole issue of the value can change week by week mm-hmm. um but again absent agreement i i i mean I'm, there must i'm sure there's a a clever legal route out there but off the top of my head thinking in conventional terms it's interesting no i agree it's a it's a very nebulous concept because even if you took out a freezing injunction to say that somebody didn't withdraw deal with or otherwise transact in their nft collection the value of that nft might not have changed in terms of ethereum or bitcoin value but it could have changed massively in terms of the fiat exchange rate for those particular cryptocurrencies yeah um and last last question on this really is 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 disclosure because i've so far we've been talking as if everyone's playing ball and yep. being a very above board and that's yeah. generally not what happens no nope. what what kind of questions would you be putting in a questionnaire if you think nfts are involved what are you asking for so i think the starting point is that if you think that they have got any sort of crypto assets you need to be asking for their wallet you need to be asking for You can't have, and this is a common misconception with anything crypto, you can't ask for statements. So don't write a questionnaire saying, I want to see your blockchain statements, because that that doesn't exist. What effectively you would be asking for would be screenshots of their wallets at a particular point in time. My suggestion would be as close to the hearing as you can possibly get without compromising um, the fact that the disclosure might be later than you want it to be. But I effectively would be asking for screenshots from their uh, apps, their crypto wallets or other crypto exchanges where they might be holding the currency um, and ask the same question about currency that you would ask about crypto assets, because that's Mm. where they're being held. And in terms of ownership of NFTs, you're are you asking for proof of the blockchain yes yes you are asking for the transactional proof that they purchased that or, or traded or received that nft and that information will be on the blockchain but again that will be within their own their own wallet or their own okay. app the difficulty of course you're asking for a, a screenshot which mm. is a, a digital only image and as is on a judge hess citing the learned Helen Brander of Pump Court yep. said in a case that I now cannot remember, but was very recent, PDFs can be amended. And so, I mean, we have to really ask for the metadata underlying, it, uh, underlying the, the image, don't we, alongside saying, we'll take a screenshot, but also, you know, the original, send us the original file, the original yep. photo of the screenshot so that we know you haven't tampered with it. Well, but also they, they should be able to send you the original 
the original blockchain. So what what the blockchain actually is, is it's a series of, it basically looks like a code. It's mm. a series of letters and numbers in a very jumbled way, about 20 to 25 digits long. The matrix, and, it's the matrix. Yes, it, it is the matrix. Um, but they should be able to send you that particular code. And then if you go to the blockchain, you look up the Ethereum blockchain and you type in that specific code, you should be able to find it and you should be able to find the corresponding ownership for that particular code. Sounds very long winded and nebulous, I know. Um, but if you've got the transactional code, the blockchain um, that explains what that code was, and when that transaction took place, then you should be able to look it up because the whole point of decentralized finance is that it is open and available for everybody to see. So it should be traceable. And yet there's so much mistrust. So um, much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Samara. Um, you are you're a veritable Wikipedia for all things crypto. <laughs> um, Hardly. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Um, and look, whether this is a fad or, or here to stay, we all need to be confident in dealing with crypto assets on divorce. And so this was a very valuable episode. And please do continue to tune in as Series 6 wends its way towards a conclusion. As ever, any topic suggestions are gratefully received by myself and Tara Lyons. And linked to this episode, we will also later in the series be hearing from Jennifer Lee about, about cryptocurrency and tax, which is a whole minefield that, that we haven't even touched on today but um again thank you samara thanks mark thank you very much for listening and until next time goodbye mm-hmm.